0: the thrill of hope. Remember as a kid, uh, just the agonizing wait for Christmas? You know, they say the days in December are the shortest days of the year, but when you're a kid, those days before Christmas, those are the longest days of the year. Uh, You know, as adults, you know, we hear, oh, there's, you know, two weeks till Christmas, or what is there, 15, 16, 17 days till Christmas, we're like, ah! Kids are like, oh, it has taken so long. But no matter how long it took, Christmas always got here. And Christmas comes faithfully every year, no matter how how long it seems we wait for it. Uh, How many of you looked for gifts that your parents had hidden? Anybody look for gifts that your parents had hidden? Did ever find any? Some of you find them? Yeah, Did you take them out and play with them? Anybody break it? I had a story last session of a person who'd snooped and found the gift, opened it and broke it, and then had to put it back. Glued together in order trying to cover their tracks. Well, that dynamic, the dynamic of waiting and waiting and anticipating Christmas, uh, it's actually the dynamic that set up the very first Christmas. Uh, For generations, generations and generations, there, there was a handful, there was a remnant of Jewish people who waited every single day, not for Santa Claus, but for the Messiah. Uh, Every generation had a group of people that expected the Messiah to arrive, and they lived every day expecting that this would be the day that he would arrive. But unlike the certainty of Christmas, which comes every year, this went on for generation after generation after generation. 99.999% of the people who waited for the Messiah died and did not see that promise fulfilled. They prayed, they waited, they remained faithful, even while many of the other Jews peeled off and, and abandoned their faith. Uh, you know, they just thought, oh, it must be a fairy tale, it must be a myth. I mean, who in the world would devote their life to a 2,000-year-old promise? Yet there was always a group, always a remnant who got up every day and lived as if this would be the day that the Messiah would come. Now, here's why this is, is so relevant for us. Because at some point in your Christian experience, y- you will eventually come to the point when God is so quiet, God is so inactive, God is so still, that you will say, why am I doing this? Why am I attending? Why am I serving? Why am I giving? Why am I believing? Why am I obeying? Why in the world am I continuing day after day after day, to live my life as if there's something bigger to me than me, to live my life as if there's something to the Bible, to, to live as if there's something to all this Jesus stuff. At some point in all our lives, there, there are seasons, periods, maybe even years, where in our attempts to be faithful, good Christians, we look around and we wonder, is there anything to this? If you've ever had that thought, This Christmas story is for you. In fact, the Christmas story characters that we're going to look at today, in some way, their story is your story. Their story is my story. Here's how it begins. We find it in Luke chapter 1, verse 5. It says, In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah, who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Elizabeth and Zechariah uh, were both from the priestly line of Israel. That they could both trace their lineage all the way back through generations and generations of priests and religious leaders, all the way back to Aaron, the brother of Moses. That's how long their spiritual heritage was. And, and now we pick up a little bit of tension in the story. In verse six, it says both of them were righteous in the sight of God. When God looked down from heaven and saw Elizabeth and Zechariah, God said, those two are doing it right. Those two are obeying. Those two, uh, they, they are faithful. They are observing all the Lord's commands and decrees. And if you read through the Old Testament, you know there are lots of commands. There are lots of decrees. We don't even like to read through that stuff because it's so complex. Yet Zechariah and Elizabeth, they were doing it. They were obeying all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. They were doing it. You know, if they were tracked by the paparazzi, there'd be no video, there'd be no, no photos, there'd be no tabloid story. Because these two people were blameless. They're doing what they were doing as priests and followers of God, and they were doing it based on a promise that had been given by God 2,000 years ago. And for the last 400 years, God had done nothing for the nation of Israel. God had been silent for 400 years. And yet these two, day after day, get up and live their lives as if today could be the day that the Messiah comes back. They are blameless. And if you were to approach them and say, so, uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth, how's this righteous blamelessness working out for you? Look at the next verse, Luke 1, 7. It says, but, circle that word, but they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive. So let me get this straight, okay? Day after day, you guys are doing what God has called you to do. You're serving in the temple, uh, you're being good to people, you're living blamelessly, and this God that you are so faithful to leaves you without an error, leaves you with, with, childless no kids. And in this culture, it was extremely important to have children. It was extremely important to, have, to leave an heir. Uh, you know, the, the idea of from generation to generation was crucial to these people. And there was a religious stigma that if you didn't have children, God was the one who decided who had children and didn't. God was the one who decided which babies lived and which one didn't. And so for a couple to not be able to conceive there was a sense in which God had chosen to curse them for some unknown reason. And so for Zechariah and Elizabeth, this righteous man, this righteous woman who lived blamelessly before God throughout their young years, throughout their middle years, into their later years And it wasn't going to happen for them. In fact, look at how how the statement ends. It says, and they were both well advanced in years. I mean, it was too late. It it was over. God had done nothing for them lately. We find out later in the story that they had prayed. They, They had prayed the desperate prayers that any couple prays who wants to have kids. And God had said no. Their prayers had gone unanswered. They lived with the the shame and the pain of this all the way into old age. And and here's what's so noteworthy about this, is that their faithfulness to God, follow this, their faithfulness to God was based on a promise that had been made to Abraham 2,000 years earlier. 2,000 years before Zechariah and Elizabeth lived, God had appeared to Abraham, and, and said this. He said, I will make you into a great nation. That actually happened. He says, I will bless you and I will make your name great. That actually happened. You know, I mean, most of you knew about Abraham before you arrived here today. Uh, Abraham lived 4,000 years ago and everybody in here who showed up knew about Abraham. God has made his name great. He says, you will be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. You know, that premise has, has been understood uh, down through history. It's been understood here in America for, for two and a half centuries. The, the, you know, we're an ally of the nation of Israel because if you uh, God blesses those who bless Israel, and God curses those who curse Israel. And we're seeing a shift in our, in our thinking in our nation today, but that's a promise from God. It says, all peoples, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And that's where the promise begins to break down. All people on earth will be blessed through Abraham. Abraham will be a blessing to the whole world. And it was that promise. That's why the Jews believed that there was something more for Israel because God gave a promise to Abraham. He gave a promise to Abraham, and Abraham and Sarah finally had a son, and their son had a son who had a bunch of sons, and the family moved down into Egypt and became a nation. And there was the exodus, and they went back to the promised land of Israel, and they became a kingdom, and things really took off. And there was hope that in this kingdom age uh, with King David and then King Solomon, there was a hope that, yes, God is going to bless all the earth through the lineage of Abraham, through this kingdom. And and things were absolutely incredible. And if there was ever a time when God was going to bless the world through the nation of Israel, it would have been through this kingdom. And then Solomon died, and the kingdom split. There was a civil war and then there was just this season of where there were some good kings but there were lots of bad kings and and things just deteriorated and from the time of Solomon's kingdom about 900 BC up till Zechariah and Elizabeth for about 900 or almost a thousand years the nation of Israel changed hands over 25 times. I mean, the Syrians came in, the Babylonians came in, the Greeks came in, the Persians came in, the Romans came in. I mean, Israel, that little land, became just a revolving door for conquerors. It had absolutely no clout in international affairs. Half the time, they had no army whatsoever. They, they were taken out of land and exiled for 70 years. The idea that the whole world would be blessed through the nation of Israel, a nation with no power, no wealth, uh, no say in their own future, the idea that God would bless the world through the nation of Israel, just not going to happen. And then to add insult to injury, in 65 B.C., a Roman general by the name of Pompey conquered Jerusalem. Jerusalem. And he walked into Jerusalem, he walked into the temple, pushed past the temple guards, pushed past the priest, and walked right into the Holy of Holies. The Jews believed the Holy of Holies is where God lived, and only one person could go in there. It was the high priest, and he could go in there once during the year. The Day of Atonement. And they believed that if you went in there uninvited, if you went in there uh, unprepared and did the wrong thing, that God would strike you dead. And the high priest would go in, he wore a garment that had bells around the bottom of it so they could hear him moving around in there and know that God, he hadn't done the wrong thing and God hadn't killed him. And they actually tied a rope around his ankle so that if, if, the, if the bells stopped ringing, they could yank him out. And Pompey shows up. Arrogantly pushes past everybody, walks right into the Holy of Holies, looks around, sees nothing of import, turns around and walks out, and nothing happens to him. And word spread like wildfire. Jupiter, the god of Rome, is more powerful than the god of Israel. And Zechariah and Elizabeth's fathers would have been priests at that time. Zechariah would have been a small boy. And no doubt he remembered the night that his father came home with his robes torn and ashes on his head, in mourning, in despair, because this pagan Roman general had ignored their customs, ignored their traditions, ignored their warnings, and walked right into the Holy of Holies, and walked out, and nothing happened to him. And this little boy with that trauma in his background grew up to become a priest and faithfully served God in the temple waiting for the Messiah. Zechariah remembered the story of the sacrilege. He, He remembered the emotion of why doesn't God do what he said he would do? What about the promise to Abraham? How in the world can this little, itty-bitty, tiny, conquered nation bless the world? I mean, we're hanging on by a thread here to even exist. And many, many Jews in that time turned away from temple worship. They turned away from their belief in God. They integrated into Greek life. They integrated into Roman life. Because after all, it was over. But not everybody... Not Zechariah and Elizabeth. That's why Luke begins his story with their story. Because Luke's story is the beginning of something brand new when God is going to fulfill the promise that he made to Abraham. And that's why this story is so important to to you and me. Because there are moments, there are moments when we wonder, is God active? Is God alive? Is God listening? Is God interested? Is God seeing? What's happening here? And on Christmas, the answer to those questions is, yes. Yes. The story goes on in verse 8. It says, Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. In that day, there were 23 divisions of priests that would rotate their duties in the temple. They lived all over the land of Israel. When it was their division's term, they would come, reside there at the temple, do their thing, and then when they were done, they would go back home. And they would draw straws, cast lots, roll dice, not sure what they would do, but somehow they would, through a process of chance, they would decide who would be the priest who could go into the Holy of Holies. There's something that may happen only once in the lifetime of a priest. He's chosen by a drawing because they didn't want to pick him. They wanted God to be the one who would pick the priest that could go in. And so they, they would do it by chance and give God the chance to determine who the priest would be. And, and this time God chose Zechariah. It says, when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. So Zechariah's in there all by himself. Everybody else is outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. You know, there's Zechariah in there, faithfully doing his priestly thing. And suddenly an angel of the Lord appears to him. And when Zechariah saw him, he was startled. He was gripped with fear, and the angel said to him. Now, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, any time an angel appears to a human, the first thing the angel says is, do not be afraid. Why? Because the first thing that happens when a human being sees an angel is they are scared out of their wits. So the angels always have to start the conversation with, do not be afraid, because angels are very, very scary. You know, people say, oh, I wish I could see God, I wish God would speak to me. You know, I read through those instances in the Bible, and, and they're terrifying. Even when God turns it all the way down to a one, it's terrifying because God is God. And so this angel appears with good news, but, but Zechariah is, is going, whoa, it's an angel, and he's freaking out, and Zechariah is a good man, I mean, he's got nothing to fear. You an angel appears to you and me, we're going to start confessing immediately. I did this in third grade, I did this in fifth grade, I'm sorry about this, I'll never do this again. I mean, we're just going to, and the angel's going to be like, whoa, 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 shut up, shut up, good news, don't be afraid. Okay? So the angel says, your prayer has been heard. I mean, wouldn't you like to hear that? Wouldn't, not even answered, just heard, just some sort of confirmation from God that your prayer has been heard. You know, it, it could be a small angel, or an assistant angel, or the cousin of an angel. I mean, it's just just somebody that would say your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. And John would become a famous John. I mean, this is John the, yeah. See, he's famous. You guys already know him, John the Baptist. He will be a joy and delight to you and many will rejoice because of his birth for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. Many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God. Now why does John the Baptist need to bring many back to the Lord their God? Because many in Israel had abandoned the Lord their God. You know, God hadn't done anything for Israel in 400 years. It was over. It's a myth. I mean, it was fun while it lasted. There are some great stories to tell the kids, but God has abandoned Israel. And so they abandoned him. He will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel he says how can I be sure of this he says I am an old man and my wife is and here he gets diplomatic I am an old man my wife is well along in years okay I mean he's thinking you know I'm glad you heard the prayers but you're a little late we were praying those prayers in our 20s. We were praying those prayers in our 30s. We prayed those prayers in our 40s. We almost quit praying those prayers in our 50s. And now we are old. And you're telling me that you have heard the prayer. He says, "I'm old and and, and my wife, well, she's old too." The angel said to him, what do you mean how how do you know this is going to happen? I'm an angel, I'm Gabriel. You're talking to an angel and you're wondering how this can happen? The angel said to him, I am Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens. Because you did not believe my words, which will come true at the proper time. Circle that phrase, at the proper time, at the appointed time. I mean, you, you got to notice that phrase. I mean, you, you mean God had this day marked on his calendar? God has waited 400 years for this day on purpose? God has watched his people abandon him in droves because it looked like there was no way in the world that God was going to fulfill the promise? You mean God has been planning this? There has been an appointed time? You mean God didn't quit paying attention? You mean God heard the prayers of Zechariah and Elizabeth? God heard the prayers of his people for generations and generations? You mean even though God has been quiet, he hasn't been inactive, he hasn't lost interest? There, There has been a proper time meanwhile people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple you know they're wondering do we need to pull a rope on this guy when he came out he could not speak to them they realized he had seen a vision in the temple for he kept making signs to them but remained unable to speak. And I, I just, you got to love the Bible. I just, I just love the picture of this. I mean, you just wonder, what kind of signs did he make to tell them about this? I mean, you know, is he pointing into the Holy of Holies? And... <laughs> I mean, what, what's he doing? And I don't even want to go. You know, my wife's going to conceive and bear a child. I mean, I'm not getting into that, but... It says, when his time of service was completed, he finished out his duties as a priest faithfully, and then he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. But this baby, this baby just the warm-up act. This baby is just the forerunner. Uh, He is the voice crying in the wilderness. He's the harbinger of what God has been planning to do all along. He's the precursor to what God has been planning to do for those who had remained faithful generation after generation after generation. Those who had died and never seen the fulfillment of the promise. They had passed on to their children the hope that the Messiah would come. They had passed on to their children the hope that that God may be silent right now, but God is a God who keeps his promises. And in every generation, there there were Jews who were a remnant who believed and they passed on to their children and their children's children and their children's children's children. And finally, finally the day had come when God put it into action. God began to do what he had planned to do since he made that promise to Abraham that every nation on the earth will be blessed through him. Here's how this story concludes and our next story begins. It's Luke one twenty six. It says, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin, pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. I mean, this is our story. This is our dilemma. I mean, do we believe Or do we stop believing? Do we serve or do we go do something else? Do we give or do we just spend it all? Do we stay pure? Do do we stay uh, faithful? Do we maintain our integrity? Or do we just do what everybody else is doing? In every generation, there's a remnant of Christians that decide whether or not they are going to remain faithful in spite of the fact that they may not see God doing what they have expected Him to do. Now, the good news is is that that's your situation. There's nothing wrong with you. I mean, welcome to the common experience of everybody who's placed their trust in Christ. Uh, Welcome to the world of Zechariah and Elizabeth, a couple who decided to walk blamelessly before God in spite of the fact that they couldn't even imagine how God would fulfill His promises. They can't even imagine how God is going to use Israel to bless the world. I, I mean, they're just nothing but a tiny little occupied country. And that's the dilemma that we face in our faith walk. It's normal. But the challenge is, is will you be part of that remnant? The challenge is, will you be a unique teenager? Would you be a unique college student? Will you be a unique couple that chooses to continue to believe when the rest of the world chooses to walk away? Will you be that unique person in the workplace that says, I'm going to maintain my standards and my integrity because at the end of the day, I want to know that to the best of my ability, I am blameless before God, whether I see God do anything about it or not. You know, the story of Christmas is a story that your faith in God is not misplaced. It's a reminder that when God is silent, He's not necessarily inactive. And and when it seems that God is inactive, He's not necessarily uninterested. And when we become convinced that He's even uninterested, God still has a plan. A plan for the world, a plan for you. Christmas is a reminder that God can do anything He chooses at any time He chooses. And God is moved and blessed by those who remain faithful and continue to pray. You know, best of all, the, Christmas is, is a story that says that your hope is not in vain. Your hope is not in vain. At Christmas, we, we sing a, a carol, one of my favorite ones, called Oh Holy Night. And, and the words of this are just so rich. And there, there's one line in there that just captures the whole essence of this message. It says, Long lay the world. Long lay the world for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. Long lay the world in sin and error, pining. And I love that word, pining. We don't use it much anymore. But I love that word, pining. It means to wait. It means to yearn. It it means to hunger for something to happen. Long lay the world in sin and error, pining, yearning, longing, hungry for God to fulfill his promise, for God to send a Savior. What a reminder what a reminder that our longing, our waiting, our hope is not in vain. God is a God who keeps his promise. Let's pray together. You know I, don't know, I don't know where you are today. I don't know what you are longing for, what your yearning is, what you have been praying for God to do. But whatever it is, I can tell you that your faith in God is not misplaced. Your faith in God is not misplaced. God is the source of hope. And God calls us to latch on to his promises, to latch on to his character, who he is, and to remain faithful. And so I just want to encourage you this Christmas season, whatever it is that you are pining for, to remember that God will do what he said he will do in the proper time, in the appointed time, in the way that he chooses to do it. And your hope is not misplaced. Father, I pray that you would help us to remain, to wait, to stay connected with you to not abandon our faith, to not walk away, but to be that remnant you desire for us to be. For we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.